it's an exciting day for the Islanders and you, the Islanders fans. In a pandemic, if you're only selling 1,300 tickets, if you cannot pack those tickets with your own fans, you got a real problem. And as for Josh Hosang, Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 72. Hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And also, uh, if you haven't, please find me via Newsday Islanders text, which is your direct connection to one-on-one communication with me and other Newsday staffers covering the Islanders. You can text 631-303-3766. Again, that's text 631-303-3766. Or go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to start your 14-day trial subscription. I don't know if you can tell. Uh, There's a bit of excitement in my voice today. And uh, it's Wednesday and it's an exciting day for the Islanders and you, the Islanders fans, because we finally, finally have a timetable on when you, the Islanders fans, can get back into Nassau Coliseum. Now, uh, it's only going to be a limited 10% 10% and uh, season ticket subscribers uh, will always have priority this season for the limited amount of tickets. But we do have a timetable. There is going to be a little bit of normalcy returning to Nassau Coliseum starting on March 18th. The Islanders uh, uh, will also be hosting 1,000 frontline workers from Northwell Health in appreciation for the work, uh, the, the, the amazing, mind-boggling work uh, they, the frontline workers have done during the COVID-19 pandemic. But the, the Islanders are going to have uh, 1,000 of uh, the Northwell Health workers in the Coliseum on March 11th against the Devils, but uh, March 18th, against the Flyers will be the first game available to a limited number of season ticket holders. And uh, it's at 10%, so that's slightly less than uh, 1,400 season ticket uh, holders will be allowed into the Coliseum starting on March 18th. And as the Islanders said in their statement today, uh, everything will be uh, prioritized based on the season ticket subscribers. So uh, on this show today, uh, off of that news, uh, lucky enough to have, spend a few minutes with Nassau County Executive Laura Curran uh, regarding Nassau Coliseum and that timetable for fans to re-enter the building. And then after speaking with Laura, I'll also be speaking with my friend, Islanders Radio play-by-play man, Chris King. But first, I want to get right to this. Uh, as I said, uh, Nassau County Executive Laura Curran was good enough to uh, spend a few minutes with the Island Ice podcast for her reaction to the news, her role in it, and uh, just what it does mean for Islanders fans. So here's my chat with Laura Curran. And I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Nassau County Executive Laura Curran. Um, and it, it's an exciting day for Nassau County. It's an exciting day for uh, 
Islander fans. And uh, let me just start, Laura, by asking for your reaction to this and uh, what, what this does mean to Nassau County. This is another step towards normal. Uh, it was wonderful news. I'm really happy. Uh, you know, we've been watching the Islanders play this season. It's been a, an emotional season so far. They're doing well. But I think having fans in the stands will help. I know we're starting with 10%. We know that number will go up and go up. And I, I know that the fans are ready to rock the barn. Can you, I, I guess, for the, for the listeners, kind of describe, you know, your position in, in all of this and, and within the consultations and, and what your understanding uh, is of, of the logistics of actually getting the fans into the building? Right. So I've been pushing for this for a while. And, you know, everyone, we all know by now that it's a county owned property, but we don't run it. We have a, a folks who run it for us. And of course, we had to wait for the state to give all arenas over now it's over 10,000 people who fit inside of them, giving them permission to operate. And uh, I think we saw with the experiment up in Buffalo with the Buffalo Bills, albeit that was an outdoor arena, is an outdoor arena, that happened and it happened safely. It happened well. It was a success. So that the fruit of that pilot program is what we're seeing now. Um, and I know that the team on the ground there in the Coliseum is working very hard to do this right. They want to get it as safe as possible so that we can have the 10% and then make sure that we can then start increasing the number of people who can go. And it's wonderful. You know, those who have season tickets are going to have first dibs, but the very first time it's open to fans, uh, the Coliseum will be hosting a thousand medical workers from Northwell, which I think is a really just a beautiful gesture. Yeah, no, uh, that it was very fitting and uh, no one's worked harder, you know, through this than them. So, you know, it, I'm sure that will be a special night, March 11th against the devils having the Northwell health frontline workers in. Right. Um, just one of the issues with the Coliseum, as we know, is it is, you know, an older building. It's not, you know, one of these newer facilities where they're, you know, concerns just because of how, you know, tight the uh, tight the building is as to getting fans. And I know the Rangers and Devils are both getting their fans into their buildings. You know, you know, the Rangers are, are having it this week, the Devils on March 1st. So there is a little bit of a lag for the Islanders to get fans in. Yeah, that's right. And it's because the team wants to make sure that they're going to do it right. They're going to do it as safely as possible, that everything is very clear for the fans who come, what's expected. And, you know, you got to work out the, you got to work out the details in advance as much as possible. But I'm excited. It's less than a month away, you know, uh, a few weeks. So it's, it's really, really good news. And I think we all need some good news right now. Uh, it seems like that end, light of the end of the tunnel has been there for so long and we keep going closer and closer, but not quite reaching it. This is a significant step forward just to feeling normal again, to doing those, those fun things again. And I'm looking forward to the day when it can be open all the way and we can really, really be, be normal again. Whoever knew, <laughs> thought like being normal would be so exciting. <laughs> and, we're, and we're coming up on a year, you know, March 12th. It, it, it's, it's been a year almost now of this. And, and, and you're right. You know, I, I've been covering the games at the Coliseum. And it's it's very eerie being in there without the fans. I mean, the, the fans are such are, are so integrated into the experience there. 
Yeah, I bet it. I bet it seems eerie and strange, and I wonder how it affects the players because we know how well they respond to the fans. I wonder if it there's some psychological stuff going on there. I don't know. That's about <laughs> you get a chance to talk to them and find out. Yeah, no, they 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 definitely notice it. Um, you mentioned it, and I know there can't be any timetable for this now, but we're at ten percent capacity now. Do you do you see the governor loosening that up maybe by the end of the regular season or, you know, knock on wood if they're in the playoffs or, or how quickly do you think it might get, you know, higher than 10 percent? Well, I certainly hope it happens soon. I, I can't tell you that timeline. I don't know as we're sitting here talking, but I, I am hoping and will push for it to happen as quickly as possible, as safely as possible. You know, and I think it's up to all of us in the meantime, just to keep using common sense and make sure that there are, you know, that we can, that this is something we can do safely and so that we can prove that we can be trustworthy so that we can get to those higher percentages. You, 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 obviously, the health and safety protocols, you know, Lou Lamorello talks about them all the time. The players do. Are you aware of any specific, you know, requirements that are going to be in place for the for the fans coming into the building? So those are all have to be sorted out. I'm sure that they're going to announce, you know, the distancing and the masking and the testing. I know they're working out all of those details now. Uh, the point is to get them nailed down and then to make it as clear as possible so everyone knows. Do you uh, do you expect to be in the building at any point once uh, once it opens up? <laughs> well, you know, maybe I can pop in. It's a facility. Uh, I want to be careful though because I'm not a season ticket holder. I am for next season for Belmont. Yeah. Go and buy tickets. You know, I did when I could catch a game. So, you know, we know that this is for season ticket holders. <laughs> yeah, no, and they and they made that very clear in their statement today that season ticket holders, I, I guess, is rightfully Maybe so. Up and say hi. <laughs> well, I didn't know if John Ledecky could get you into the box or something like that. Right. But, uh, um, <laughs> meanwhile, anything new to report on, on UBS Arena and, and the progress there, um, you know, as we look past Nassau Coliseum? Well, it's really exciting. It's happening on time. It's happening on budget. It's going to be gorgeous. Uh, I've been inside. You know, it was still very rough. They hadn't put the seats or anything in, but the main structure was up. And the thing that struck me was how intimate it felt, even though it's very large. It didn't have that large cavernous feeling, even, you know, before they put in all of the amenities. So I, I feel like it's going to be an intimate place that can accommodate more fans. And it looks like it's going to be a great place to watch hockey. So I can't wait. My husband... <laughs> right online and bought the season tickets so we're we're ready <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that and uh, and i know talking to some of the workers there that that's one thing that the, the builders stressed was kind of translating some of that nassau coliseum feel you know the the, the tightness you know i know it's going to be much more luxurious but you know being on top of the ice in, in a way so you know just uh, i guess to finish up you know when when you get wind of the news, you know, is your reaction more, you know, as Nassau County executive or more just as, you know, a person who's going through this pandemic with the rest of us? What was your visceral reaction, you know, to, to, to this news of, you know, things opening up a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
I think my first visceral, visceral reaction was as just a regular person. Like, yes, this is something we can do to get back to normal. And I think about all of the ancillary businesses. And then I think, you know, my county executive hat goes on. And I think about all of the ancillary businesses, the restaurants and the bars and, you know, all the other stuff that is so, so much a part of the Islanders experience. And then I start thinking about the excitement of the hub development overall and what the possibilities are for the building. So I guess the two are really very much intertwined. Was it, uh, and I know I promised the last one, but really the, the last one, you know, I, I know we had the issue with the, with the Coliseum ownership. How tough is it getting the building uh, back up and running in terms of, you know, rehiring all the people that needs to, to, to be hired for this? And I know, you know, that's not a Nassau County, you know, uh, process, but it is, you know, a lot of Nassau County residents. No, it's a very, very good question. And as you know, Anexum broke up with us right in the middle of the pandemic. So we had to really scramble to avoid foreclosure, to avoid bankruptcy court. You know, there was there was a lawyers working all weekend. I mean, it was a big lift. Happily, we got an operator in there very quickly so that we can, you know, the operator can then start that rehiring and get all those pieces in place. So it's going as well as it possibly could be considering all of the hurdles and obstacles we faced. So there, you know, I, I have full faith in the operator to do a good job. And this was why we wanted to get someone in there so quickly so that when we got the green light, we could just start, start moving it. Well, I, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I, I hope you get into the building at some point for a game. And, and Laura Curran, thank you so much for taking a few minutes on the podcast. It's a pleasure speaking with you. It's my pleasure. Anytime. I'm happy to come on whenever you invite me. And as you heard Laura said, uh, you know, part of the delay, you know, the, uh, the Rangers are having fans at the Garden uh, starting this Friday. Uh, the Devils, uh, I believe it's uh, March 2nd uh, against the Islanders. Uh, you know, not even ironically, it just since these teams are playing each other so much. Uh, the Islanders at Prudential Center on March 2nd will the be the first time that uh, uh, Devils fans or, or fans are allowed back in the Rock. Uh, you saw the Knicks and the Nets have already had limited a number of fans at the Garden and at Barclays Center. So, uh, you know... It, as Laura Curran was saying, uh, the delay uh, at Nassau Coliseum certainly, you know, was in deference to health and safety and making sure everything was done correctly for everybody's safety. Uh, and that's the way it has to be. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly touch upon that and uh, other things that Chris King has seen from the Islanders so far this season in our chat with the Islanders radio play-by-play -play man. But before getting to Chris King, first, this word. Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash text. Thrilled to be joined again on the podcast by uh, Chris King, who... Uh, I do see at the arena from a far distance. I don't know if it's kind of dark in the Coliseum. I don't know if uh, Kinger sees me, but I am waving at him and Greg. So, uh, Chris, welcome. Hope all's well with you and your family. 
Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. I do see where you are as well. But as you said, we're, we're pretty well separated these days and it is a little dank, uh, you know, on the concourse level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of weird how much they've made the Coliseum look like Barclays center, you know, in <laughs> terms of how dark it is. And, but, uh, Hey, just let, let me start with a, an easy softball, your general impressions of what we've seen out of the Islanders. And as we've, as we speak, uh, we're waiting uh, for the, the the game against the uh, the Bruins uh, to continue this stretch of nine and ten at home. They've just beaten the Sabers three two. Maybe a game they might should not have won, but they did. They're nine six and three. What, what, what's your general impression? What's your feeling about this team? I would say streaky so far, Andrew. I think, you know, that that's the best way to look at it, right? You look out, I, I think they started three and one. So one, three of the first four, then went on that, you know, disastrous road trip where they went 0-3 and two. So those were five straight road games without a win. Uh, picked up the back-to-back overtime losses to end that road trip, which then obviously started what became an eight-game point streak, uh, including a three-game winning streak. And then, you know, look really good in the two wins in Buffalo and not so good in the two losses in Pittsburgh. So it's been hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the nine out of 10 at the Coliseum. This is a crucial point for them right now, because right now they're the only team in the NHL that hasn't lost in regulation on home ice. Uh, You and I talked to Barry Trotz about it yesterday, and he didn't have any answer for us. He doesn't know why (laughs) there is home ice advantage like there is when you have no fans in the building, but yet teams like the Islanders, like the Penguins, like Carolina, have incredible home records without a single fan in the building. And it's hard to explain other than matchups and last change and that type of thing. But I think, you know, they realize, Andrew, this is the time to make their move. And as you mentioned, the Bruins are in on Thursday. Right now, they're just three points back of Boston for the top spot. And in the Bruins, you know, we're talking about a team that had owned them coming into the year. The Islanders had one win in the last 10 games against the Bees. But so far this year, Islanders have played the Bruins twice. They've beaten them twice. And Bruins have only lost three times in regulation all year, two of those to the Isles. So I think Thursday's big. And then in come the Penguins Saturday and Sunday the one team they've really struggled with this year, right? Only one win in the four games. So, uh, you know, then you have one in Jersey and another five-game homestand. But this is the time to try to make that push to, you know, try to stay up higher in the pack, if you will, in the East Division in the 2-3 spot instead of where they've been of late kind of down near 4-5. And, again, even going into the Sabre game, they were outside looking in in the 5 spot. You know, it's funny. When I look at the standings on a daily basis, because in a 56-game season, I don't think it's ever too early to to look at the standings, right? Because it's just going to fly by here. I find myself not looking at the points. I I, I look at the point percentage. The Islanders and points are one of the top four teams in the East Division. Point percentage, I don't believe they are. I think they're fifth. And I, I, I really worry about every team getting to 56 games here. Yeah. You know, so I I think that's something that, you know, the Islanders have to be very cognizant of. And, you know, they they can't give away games like they did in Pittsburgh the other night on a consistent basis. And and ironically, Andrew, it's almost the opposite of what last year was, right? Because points wise, they wouldn't have made the playoffs, but point percentage wise, they did. So I think you make a valid point. We don't know if we're going to get to 56 games, some more cancellations today, some more postponements, another Islander game that got switched. So I think you have a valid point that you have to look at those points percentage more than the, the total points, because in the end, that might be what determines whether you get in or not. And Again, with every game being a four-point game, it it can change so dramatically. I remember before the Islanders played the Penguins, after those two cancellations against Buffalo, they were dead last in the East 
going into that Penguin game. 11 days later, they were second. So they went from looking up at seven teams to looking up at only the Bruins. You can go from eighth to second in an 11-day span, which is what they did. Yeah, no, and, and, and I really suspect it's going to be like that absolutely all season. And it, it, it's almost guaranteed to be like that just because you're only playing within the division, yeah. right? So everything's just going to be so tight. And I keep thinking that maybe, you know, the Sabres are going to be the only team that probably might not make that playoff push. But at the same time, you know, Sabres look pretty good tonight beating up on the uh, Devils. And, and the Islanders, in the, they play nine to ten at home, and four of those games are against the Sabres. <laughs> it's like, you know, so they, they, they certainly can't rest against the Sabres. And, you know, like I said, I, I thought they were lucky to get out of, uh, you know, that 3-2 win the other day on J.G. Pajot's power play goal late in the third period. I thought they were very lucky to get out of that game the way they did. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, Barry Chopstow, I thought, made a good point in the post game. He said, look, you know, we called it, Greg Picker and I, my partner, the game in Pittsburgh Saturday, the best they've looked in a loss all year. And Barry said they certainly deserve one point that night and maybe two. And Barry talks a lot about the hockey gods, right? Well, the hockey gods weren't on their side. He went so far as to suggest they were on Sid's side in Crosby's 1000 NHL game, right? But the other night, I think the hockey gods were on the side of the New York Islanders. And you're right, you don't always have to make it pretty but you have to try to get that w and maybe even more importantly get it in regulation so when they get that late power play goal it gives them a lead they hang on it doesn't go beyond 60 where let's face it they haven't won a game all year i think uh, only they and the montreal canadians are the two teams that haven't won a game beyond 60 minutes all year as the Habs lost again tonight in a shootout uh you got to find a way to win and you got to find a way to win in regulation so you know when i look at that standings there is kind of that little separation it's small but it's a little separation that's forming from the top five that are kind of grouped together and then the rangers the devils and you mentioned the sabers that have fallen a little bit from the pack but you know as the islanders proved in an 11 day span you can jump over seven teams and change your 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 outlook dramatically and certainly they've done that and they know a team like the sabers if they can get healthy and get everybody off that covid protocol list and uh, you know, be a much better team than they've shown so far can do that as well. Well, wh one of my big questions with the Sabres going into the season was what kind of goaltending they were going to get. And they weren't getting great goaltending early, but I, I thought Linus Olmark played pretty well uh, uh, the other night against the Islanders. And if the Sabres, you know, can get some decent play out of Olmark, they're, you know, they're not going to be an easy pushover in any of these games. Um yeah, I agree. I think we had the number on him last night, Andrew. He hadn't given up more than hasn't given up more than three goals against in a game all year. So they're, they're going to get the goaltending, but it's the opposite end. You know, they're just not scoring. They came in tied for the fewest goals in the NHL. And I mean, here's a guy like Jeff Skinner that's making nine million dollars a year and has one assist and was a healthy scratch. As they had to do something. The anymore. Eichel is not scoring goals at all. Taylor Hall scored opening night, has not scored since. Uh, Mark, uh, Eric Stahl is not scoring at all. So again, the guys that they need to score, the Eichels, the Stahls, the Halls, the Skinners, simply are not putting the puck in the back of the net. Well, let's look at the Islanders when you talk about, you know, not scoring and scoring. I mean, they, they, they've struggled to score at times, but it, it's been, it's kind of been good to see the power play being a difference maker, which is something we didn't really see the first two seasons under Barry Trotz. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. And, you know, I, I know we're all fixated on the prospects, right? But yeah. I, I really, 
I'm starting to really like what we're seeing from Oliver Wallstrom. You, you kind of see it on a game by game basis. He's, he's really starting to get it. And I think that can be so huge for this team. If he kind of develops into what we all think he should be, which is, you know, a, a top six scoring wing here. I agree with you. And I think, you know, his last two games are his best two. There's no doubt about it. The game in Pittsburgh, uh, he had those two incredible chances, you know, got denied both times. And then to me, maybe the biggest moment in Pittsburgh was it's a one goal game. He's out there in the final minute. There's 20 seconds to go, Andrew, and he's on his own goal line. And he decides I'm going to be the guy that carried coast to coast. I mean, what 20 year old <laughs> has the confidence to do that? But that's what he did. And you know what? Kudos to Barry Trotz for leaving him on that power play, because we all know his biggest weapon is his release. He's got an incredibly quick, explosive release. The puck just explodes off his stick. And it wasn't that that snapshot or that wrist shot last night. It was a slap shot, but he still got the hard shot off on the one-timer. Big, booming slap shot that Omar couldn't handle. And, you know, kudos to J.G. Pajot for banging it out of midair, basically, and knocking it in. So they know what that shot is all about. I think he's got to continue to have that power play time. I like the balance between the two power play units right now. They each present a different look. Obviously, one with the two defensemen where they're trying to get it to Pollock, Letty, quarterback, and the other one with the four forwards. So you don't want to have power plays that look the same. You want to make it a challenge for the team that's defending on the kill. And, and I agree with you on both points. And, you know, Barry Trotz told us a while back, Andrew, he really wants to have kind of three and two-thirds lines set, right? That's what right. he wants and have one forward to rotate in each night. He's basically had the same 10 forwards for every single game, but no set wingers for J.G. Pajot. I think now, like you said, Oliver Wallstrom is kind of cementing himself as that 11th forward or that two-thirds of the third line. And then obviously on the left, it's still going to have to be decided who's going to be there. Is it Michael Dal Cole when he's healthy? Is it Leo Komarov for the veteran president? Is it Austin Zarnick like we saw last night? But Barry wants there to be kind of 11 forwards set each night and have one that can kind of battle for a spot. And I think Wallstrom has staked a good claim to that 11th forward spot for now. Yeah, and we and we saw how short a leash Barry is giving you know, the, the rotating. Kiefer Bellows got yes. under eight minutes of ice time, and we may not see him again for a while. <laughs> yeah, he struggled defensively, uh, you know, so bad in that game, and it, it was pretty obvious that he was not going to go back in the next night. But that, you know, you make it now. It's three straight games with three different players. They're right. You go to Bellows, to Comrade, to Zarnik, and, and maybe to DC, uh, Michael Dal Cole, if he's ready to go on Thursday. So that's the spot that they're battling for. It's Wallstrom's job you know, to keep hold of the, uh, you know, third line right wing position. He scored in his first game of the year. He hadn't scored since. So I think he needs to light the lamp, uh, certainly to, to take a full hold of that uh, position. But I think if they continue to give him those opportunities that he's creating at even strength and they're finding him open on the power play, the goals are going to come. Yeah, his shot is just too good. Yep. One of them is going to go in. I mean, he gets off that wrist shot off the rush and you know, it's going to go in at some point. And, you know, you talk about the rotating things. It's anytime you say something good about Michael Dow called to the Islander fan base, it seems like you get killed on, on Twitter or something. Right. Um, and, and, and a good portion of that is he was drafted fifth overall and you just have different expectations of what a guy being picked fifth overall is going to be. If you take that out of the equation and you just look at what Michael Dalcall is, he contributes to this lineup when he is in. He he is so good on the forecheck and along the boards, and he retrieves pucks and he sets up his teammates. And maybe he doesn't get on the score sheet frequently, but he he, he is contributing and he is he is playing an important role. And I I, I think you saw when he got hurt, the team 
was just not as good in Pittsburgh without him in the, the lineup for those two games. Man, I think that one great game he had, the two-assist game, uh, he showed you a little bit of his skill set. And I agree with everything you said about him. And uh, certainly, you know, if he's the guy that can slot in alongside Paggio and Wallstrom, well, then, you know, you got Wallstrom who's got the shot and the speed. You got Paggio who can do a little bit of everything. And you got D.C., who can provide that physical presence. We saw him pick up those helpers on a, a pair of nice goals. So he's got a strong skill set, and he's kind of the typical guy that, you know, Lou Lamarello always talks about not rushing someone, bringing them along slowly. And you talk about how long it's been, you know, that he's been in this organization and trying to make himself an NHL regular, which he pretty much did by all accounts a year ago. But now with the injury, it's certainly a bit of a setback, and you start rotating other guys in that spot that I'm sure he would like to claim as his. The sooner he can get back, the better. And I think with the chemistry that, you know, that Wallstrom has found with Pajot, if they can find the same thing with DC on the left side, then maybe you finally solidified that one line that, let's face it, that's been up in the air since opening night. When the other three have, for the most part, settled in, although we do see some juggling, you know, we did on the top six until yeah. both Bailey and Nelson found their games. And now we're back to the usual top six that we saw in the great uh, Stanley Cup playoff run this past summer. Yeah, and, you, you know, it's... Zarnik, uh, who played his second game, Austin Zarnik, um, one of those rotating guys. The two times he's been in the lineup, he's been he's been okay, you know. And I, I was sort of surprised Barry went away from him so quickly after that one game he had in the lineup. But I, I was noticing, and one of the, you know, COVID is bad. We all know that, and not having fans in the Coliseum is is bad, but. We have some pretty good seats now in the Coliseum. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're right in that concourse between the lower and the upper bowl. So in, in the Coliseum, that's like sitting on the ice. So there was a uh, an offensive zone draw that Pajot was taking, and him and uh, Zarnik were lining up to take it. I looked out there, and I realized – they're the exact same body type. They're both, you know, I, I, I don't know what Zarnik's listed at, but I mean, I think he mirrors exactly what JG Pajot's dimensions are. You know, I couldn't tell one was bigger or smaller than the other. And it, it's just, you know, I, I don't know how long, you know, I, I know why Pajot is so good, but I, I don't know if you get by with two guys that same size on the line like that. Yeah, it's a good point. But Barry said he does like his flexibility. Again, he's a right-handed shot. He can play both sides, though. He said he could use him on the penalty kill if need be. Um, and you're right. You know, we saw Zarnik and Timoshev both come in, kind of play that one game and then disappear. We didn't know if we would see them again. So I was a little surprised that it was uh, Zarnik that, that got back in there after Leo Komarov. You kind of know what you're going to get out of him each night. Kiefer Bellows obviously had the tough defensive game. And and again, I, I still think you're right, though, that if Michael Dalcole's healthy, he is the guy that, you know, solidifies that third line. But for now... I give kudos to Barry Trotz for taking a look at everybody. Let's look at all the options to see if maybe we can find that chemistry with Pajot that Wallstrom has found with somebody else on his left. Yeah. How about kudos to Pajot for uh, having the patience? I mean, I, he, he's just, he's just had a different winger. It seems every time you look up and you know, he's, he's a really good team guy. And, and he doesn't say boo about this, but you, you know there are some guys in the NHL who, in under different circumstances, would be having a quiet conversation with their coach about what the heck's going on. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it's been that way, you know, pretty much since he's arrived. You know, you look at even last year throughout the playoffs, that was still the one line that kind of rotated all these guys through. So, 
Uh, let, let's look at it. You know, Matt Barzell, he knows who his wingers are. Brock yeah. Nelson, he knows who his wingers are. Casey Sasekas, he knows who his wingers are better than anybody, right? For six <laughs> years, he knows who his wingers are. And JG doesn't know for six minutes who his wingers are going to be those nights. So uh, he's been a terrific guy. Uh, you know, they make the trade for him, Andrew. They lock him up for six years because they recognize it's even strength. It's power play. It's penalty kill. It's face-offs. And it's off the ice, too. You know, we really got a glimpse of that personality in the bubble over the summer where, you know, he wins, wins the ping pong tournament, but he comes out in the robe and he's boxing around and he's got his hype man and his music playing. And you get to see how quickly he endears himself to his teammates with things like that that he does off the ice. You know, a brand new guy coming to a new team at the deadline. And boy, he made such an impact off the ice. I think he's been a great fit in the room. And obviously, with the Terry's on now on the ice, so six goals in the last seven games, nobody's hotter right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he's, he's a, he's a fun guy. He's one of the things uh, I'm sure you're the same way. You miss being in the dressing room with yeah. these guys because of the personalities, right? You do. So. We don't get that anymore. You're absolutely right. He was always one of my favorites to talk to from the moment he arrived. And, and then we were kind of kept away so quickly when everything hit rightfully so, but uh, we barely got to know him as he arrived at the deadline. And obviously things shut down on March 12th and really none of us have been in a locker room since. Yeah, and there's really no telling, you know, when that's going to open up. I mean, you get the sense, you know, fans are starting to come back into other buildings. You, you assume at some point they're going to be back in the Coliseum. We don't have a date, you know, as we speak. What do you think that's going to do in the Coliseum, even on a limited basis? And how do you see that working in the Coliseum? I mean, it, the Coliseum, as we all know, is not Madison Square Garden. It's not the Prudential Center. It's not a modern arena. It's social distancing and, you know, there, there are logistical issues yeah. to be had at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, it's interesting you bring it up, Andrew, because that's what I did tonight. Actually, I was watching the Nick game and the net game, and I'm not a big basketball guy, but I just wanted to see the setup. I wanted to see, you know, how they were welcoming in the fans, how they were spacing out the fans, what it sounded like, what it looked like. So I was very interested to get a glimpse of that. And I think the thing that most people don't realize about the Coliseum is that, you know, this was a building that was shuttered in the offseason, shut down, shuttered, whereas mm -hmm. every other NHL arena – you know, was still up and running. They weren't holding events, but they were up and running. They had a full staff. So it was almost turnkey to say, hey, let's let fans back in as soon as the, the state board says they can. So the Islanders are up against, you know, so many different things that none of those other arenas are in that they have to bring in a whole new security staff. They have to bring in a whole new concession staff. They have to bring in a whole new parking crew. They have so many workers that have to return to that building that, you know, just haven't been there once it got shuttered in the off season. So that's a different hurdle, a different set of hurdles they have to get through. And then, as you said, we as the media are kind of set up now all along the concourse on the penalty box side. So, you know, can they find a way to say, OK, we're going to let fans in, but restrict them only to the bench side and use, you know, the uh, the upper bowl and obviously the top part of the lower bowl now as, as seats where they can be? Because if they have to bring them around full circle, well, then everything they've set up in the interim for the media and all the staff that are on the concourse obviously can't be mixing in with the fans at that point. So that would all have to shift maybe back to the press box, which they've kind of used as a secure area for, you know, NHL and team officials and, and players that aren't playing that night. And that's an area that, you know, you and I have not been to. So for the fans who don't know, basically all the workers and all the media 
have been restricted to just the concourse level. We don't go up to the press box level anymore. We don't go down to the ice level as those are completely secured off. And now if you're going to put fans in the building, first of all, how do you keep them from, you know, wandering a little bit? And can you restrict them to just kind of behind that bench side and not come over to the penalty box side right. of the arena where all of us are? So that's why I think, you know, logistically fans have to understand how much bigger a hurdle it is for the Islanders to reopen than any other team in the league because their building was shut tight and locked in the off season. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And yeah, we, we haven't been in the press box because the league does not want us, uh, the media does not want us media around their off ice officials. And, right, and that's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, that press box is tight under good conditions. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, if you have to socially distance up there, you know, you're, you're only going to fit about five people up there. So uh, it, it's funny, you know, Andrew, you bring that up, though, because the point you made before, I turned to my partner, Greg Picker, recently when we were at where we are at the Coliseum, which is, again, that new inner walkway, which was the old winter walk inner walkway years ago. But it's basically at the top of the old 200s now. And like I just turned to Greg and I said, you know, I just can't tell you how much I love being this close to NHL hockey, because as you said, we now have the best seat in the house. We absolutely have the best seat in the house and we space out, which is something we can't do at all in the press box where it's so crammed. But I pinch myself every night now because I'm, you know, 15 rows off the ice from the best hockey players in the world. It's the best view I've ever had. I have like a whole six foot table to myself to spread out all my notes. And you know how I am with my notes and index cards and things I like to lay out. So I have never had, this is like the Taj Mahal of, of setups for a hockey announcer to, to be this low, to be this close and to spread out like that. Uh, you know, the, the amount of space I have in the press box as opposed to now maybe one tenth. So uh, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's an issue for them, but it's probably going to be an issue for us too, Andrew, when we are forced to go back to what's a great view from the press box. Don't get me wrong. It is still a better view, I think, up top. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's shoulder to shoulder in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know. I just sort of thought we were going to go. And when I say we, I meant the, you know, all the teams, the Rangers, Devils, the NHL. I thought we were just going to play this 56 game regular season with no fans. And then the fans might be a consideration for the playoffs. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm a little surprised that it, it, it opened up that governor Cuomo and governor Murphy have, have opened it up, you know, in February or, you know, the devils are doing it on March 1st, but you know, yeah, I'm sure they're being informed by, you know, by, by their medical and health experts. So uh, you know, I, I was just a little surprised that we, it, it came this quickly. And that's what Lou Lamorello told us, though, Andrew. He said, no, what the most important thing is safety, and it is. So they want to be safe. And uh, you mentioned that Devil game uh, or their opening March 1st. The first game will be the Islanders there on March 2nd. So the Islanders very soon will have some fans in the building, maybe even some cheer them for them, as they've always had great support over in New Jersey. But, you know, just to see the looks on the faces tonight, as I mentioned to you, I watched the Knicks and Nets pregame shows. I watched the start of those broadcasts. I watched halftime just to see all the little features on the fans. And I tell you, it was from young to old. It ran the whole spectrum. But just the, the pure joy of fans being allowed back in to root for their teams, uh, it, it was really fun to watch tonight as it was really night one of that occurring. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I am looking forward to it. I've said on the podcast that I do miss the fans in the building. So, and, and, and I'm also thinking, you mentioned, you know, the Devils and maybe getting some Islander fans there. And that, that's always been, you know, it's always been the case when the Rangers come to the Coliseum or, oh, yeah. or it's a mixed crowd. When the Islanders go to Prudential Center, it's a mixed crowd. 
in a pandemic, if you're only selling 1,300 tickets, if you cannot pack those tickets with your own fans, you got a real problem. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to see, though, like, will visiting fans find a way to get a hold of those when pretty much, you know, you're restricting it to season ticket holders at first and then kind of opening up. But will there be this secondary market? I don't know if that's going to exist when the testing that's going to be done to let you in there. But will we see, yeah, Islander jerseys March 2nd in New Jersey? I say we will, that somehow they'll find a way to get in there. And, uh, you know, fans will do what they have to do to get in and see their teams. And if, you know, certainly the Rock is going to be open before the Collie, it looks like. Uh, maybe they find a way to, to travel over to Jersey and find a, a season ticket holder who is not interested in going to the game, but is interested in helping a fan who wants to get in and, and see their team live. That, that will be interesting. Well, listen, Kinger, I appreciate you hopping on. I will see you Thursday at the Coliseum. I will again wave long distance to you and uh, Greg. And uh, <laughs> listen, all the best. And uh, thanks for the, uh, for the insight and the fun chat. Oh, anytime, Andrew. It's always great talking hockey with you. And thanks again to Chris King uh, for his thoughts and insight. Always, always fun catching up with Chris. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you caught me on the, uh, the Islanders radio uh, pregame show with my friend uh, Greg Picker the other day. But as we discussed on the pregame show, one of the best parts of covering Islander games pre-pandemic was just uh, sitting around at the, at the dinner table or up in the press box before really getting to work and just you know, shooting it, uh, between us, uh, you know, talking hockey and, uh, you know, you know, catching up with stuff and, and, and anytime, you know, talking to Greg or, or in this case, Chris, Chris King, you know, just, just good to talk, chat with them. So again, thanks to Chris King. Thank you so much again to Laura Curran and thanks to all of you for submitting questions via Newsday Islanders text. So here are some Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll start with a lineup question from Al Payone. Andrew, my question is, is the lineup that the Islanders played last night, and he's talking about that 3-2 win over the Sabres, uh, where Austin Zarnick was in on J.G. Pajot's left wing along with Oliver Wallstrom. So is the lineup the Islanders played last night the, and he uses a capital T, capital H, and a capital E, the one we should see the most? Assuming the only two players that flip-flop in and out of the lineup are Dalcall and Zarnick. And, uh, you know, what you're talking about is you've got the, the identity line set with Casey Sezikis and Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin. And, uh, you know, barring injury to any one of those three, those three, that trio is going to be together. And then you have the uh, top six formulated as you did in the postseason with Matthew Barzell in between Captain Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle, while Brock Nelson is centering Josh Bailey and Anthony Beauvillier, who's back off injured reserve, uh, Beauvillier on the left. Um, and, you know, it just real quickly, it was an interesting uh, point. I asked Barry Trotz about this uh, during the media access today, about the oddity of having three right-handers out there when you have Zarnick and uh, Pajot and Wallstrom. And uh, <laughs> Barry sort of shrugged and said, yeah, but, you know, we got three left uh, lefties on Nelson's line. And it's true. You got Beauvillier, Nelson, and Josh Bailey. Josh Bailey, who prefers playing the right side, uh, you know, 
you got three lefties there. Um, you see three lefties probably more than you see three righties, so that's why I was asking Barry about that. But anyway, so is this the lineup we should see the most? Yeah, I, I think going forward you're going to see Beauvillier with Nelson and Bailey, and you're going to see Barzell with Eberle and uh, and Lee because, uh, you know, you saw how good those lines could be in the postseason the, uh, and through all of last season. So, yeah, and you got the identity line, Sezekis. So, you know, 75% there seems locked in. And Pajot and, and Wallstrom certainly seems to have, you know, for now uh, solidified his position. And, yeah, you know, when Dalcall gets healthy and uh, he's out with the lower body injury, um you know, Zarnik has is, is looked good. He's only been in the lineup so far two games. Um, he's kind of, you know, a little, you know, energizer buddy, uh, bunny out there. Uh, he's been called the mini Sezekis. Um, he, he skates well and he, you know, he, he gets to the positions correctly and he can play a two-way game. Um, you know, and he sort of brings the same thing that Michael Dalcall does. And, uh, you know, Dalcall just has a bigger body and maybe can be a little bit more physical along the walls. And that might be the tipping point while you might see Dalcall more than Zarnik. But, uh, um, here, Chris, uh, Nietzsche, Nietzsche says, uh, and this is uh, regarding Wallstrom and Dobson, uh, it's kind of cool that everyone thought Lou Lamarillo was going to trade one or both of the first-round picks in 2018, but he drafted Wallstrom and Dobson instead, and now they're both getting into the lineup regularly. What do you think their biggest upsides will be? And uh, Nietzsche, yeah, um, you you were correct, and I was among them. Uh, you know, I went to that draft out in Vancouver, I believe, and or, or was that the one in Dallas? No, nah, I get my years confused. I, I think it was in Dallas. And you're right. Everyone assumed that, uh, you know, with the 11th and 12th overall picks, that Lou was going to do something to uh, make a move and maybe improve the club immediately because Lou sort of has that reputation. But, you know, the draft broke perfectly. And, and Wallstrom and Dobson, who, you know, uh, depending on which, you know, draft projections you were looking at, both of them, uh, you know, were mentioned as top 10 picks. And they're sitting there at 11 and 12. Uh, and those were easy picks for Lou to make. And, and don't forget, you know, defenseman Bodie Weil also falls to the Islanders at number 41 when many, and that included me, thought he might be a first round pick. So yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. That 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 draft certainly uh uh worked out well for the Islanders. What do I think their biggest upside will be? Well I, I think Oliver Wallstrom projects as a top six wing, as a top six scoring wing, uh potentially a top line wing. Um he certainly has the shot. He's got the body. Um, it's, and, and he's still so young, he's, he's still only 20 and he can develop into that. And, and Noah Dobson, the same thing, uh, you know, you already see Dobson as a full-time NHL defenseman at 20, which is pretty impressive. And he, and he's quarterbacking the top power play unit. Uh, where, where does he go from here? I mean, right now he's on what you would consider the third pair with, uh, Andy Green, um, and I think as Noah matures and, and gets a couple of seasons under the NHL, under his belt, he's certainly going to be a top four defenseman in this league. And I think he can be a top pair defenseman as well. So, uh, uh, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, sticking with Wallstrom, uh, John Pisano says, is it up to Wallstrom now to blow his spot? He's been really good lately. He seems to be getting a lot of good looks and getting to the open ice for good shots on net. Uh, Roy, if he can't just play bigger, badder, dirtier, take your pick on the dirty parts on the ice, he'll solidify his spot. Um, look, Barry has talked about having a short leash uh, with, you know, fringe slash taxi squad players. And I, I, I still think for as well as the progress we've seen from Wallstrom is, I, I still think you consider him a guy that, that Barry might have a shorter leash on than, say, one of his top six forwards. If there's any regression in the rookie's play and his defensive game falls off, then I don't think Barry's going to hesitate to get him out of the lineup here and there. But as of right now, no. Uh, if Wallstrom continues playing like this, um, yeah, I think he's going to maintain his spot. Uh, I think J.G. Pajot likes playing with him. Um, and now it's just about getting the uh, the production up a little bit more. He's certainly not shy about shooting. So, uh you know, it's just about getting his uh, shot conversions up a little bit. I, I believe he's got, what is it, the one, uh, he, he's shooting at like 4.2% on, uh, on on the 24 uh, uh, shots he's taken. So that, that percentage has got to get up a little bit. Um, let's see, Joe Hunsberger said, what is the depth chart for the depth, uh, for the defense? Now that Bridgeport has started, is the taxi squad and NHL roster set in stone as much as it can be? Uh, is Bellows going to be sent down to Bridgeport? And any further news on the Josh Hosang soap opera? Um, the, the defense chart for the Islanders, you know, certainly at the NHL is pretty well defined. You, you have the three pairs, Pelik Pulak, Letty Mayfield, and then Green Dobson. And that is your top six. And you know, until further notice, Barry Trotz is playing those six. Now, you know, is there going to be an injury here or there? You know, the odds are, you know, that, yeah, one of those guys is going to have to miss a game or two at some point this season. And right after him, you know, uh, on the roster, you got Sebastian Ajo and Thomas Hickey. And I think Barry Trotz would trust either one to jump into the lineup. Now, down at Bridgeport, uh, you got some, you know, uh, some other candidates, uh, Parker, Parker Weatherspoon, uh, you know, certainly the organization likes him. Uh, I mentioned Bodie Wild. I'm, I'm sure they would like to get him, you know, uh, another full season at the AHL. And with this AHL season only being 24 games, you know, perhaps part of next season to really uh, bolster his development a little bit. They also really like Samuel Bolduck. Uh, down at Bridgeport, but as far as the defense, I think the the top eight is is very much set in stone, and uh, you know I don't think you're going to be seeing much uh, shuttling back and forth uh, between the Islanders and Bridgeport in terms of defensemen. And that's a, you know that's with uh, Sebastian Ajo and Thomas Hickey as your you know seventh and eighth defensemen. Um, is Bellows going to be sent down to Bridgeport? I, I think that is a good point and perhaps likely uh, at this point if uh, you know he's not getting playing time at the NHL I, I think they would certainly want to get Bellows playing time at the AHL 
Um, as of now, Bellows remains on the Islanders taxi squad. And as for Josh Hosang, um, nope, the soap opera remains in, in Sweden. And, uh, you know, maybe it's unfair to call it a soap opera at this point. Josh Hosang, you know, was on the one team Orbro, uh, in Sweden, and now he's on a, on, on a different team. Um, but they're going to let him play over there. Uh, Mike Tricarico, um, Mike T says uh, on Corey Schneider, what are the Islanders' plans for Corey Schneider? I know this season is a unique unique one, and I'm not advocating for him to see any game action with the Islanders, but I'm sure he did not sign up for this, believing he would not play anywhere all year. Uh, Any chance he can go to Bridgeport for a conditioning stint? And you know what? I, I... I'm not sure that he didn't know this was what he was signing up for. You know, this is a chance for him to work a full season with Mitch Korn and Piero Greco. Um, he dresses as as Semyon Varlamov's uh, backup uh, when necessary. And those are the days when uh, the Islanders need a little roster flexibility uh, to bring up, uh, you know, other forwards from the uh, taxi squad. And they can reassign uh, Ilya Sorokin to the taxi squad without penalty. Meanwhile, Corey Schneider would need to pass through waivers to either be reassigned to the taxi squad or to go to Bridgeport. And, you know, you heard uh, Lou and and Barry say at the beginning of the season that the Islanders were going to carry the three goalies. Um, I don't think Schneider gets a start. I I, I don't. I think it's either, you know, unless Sorokin really hits a rut here and uh, Varley needs a day off, I I don't see Corey getting a game in the immediate future. It's going to be between Varley and, and Ilya Sorokin. Um, but Schneider will dress as the backup uh, from time to time. And when you dress as a backup, you got to be ready to come into a game. So I think that would be the scenario in which you would see Corey Schneider in a game. Um, let's see. Uh, Mike T also added one really good thing about Wallstrom is that unlike many of the current Islanders, he is certainly not trigger shy. And you are absolutely right about that, Mike T. He he really does like shooting and he looks for his shot and it's very welcome for this team. And, and you know, when he starts converting those goals and if he continues progressing as a, a two-way player and defensively and Barry Trotz continues to trust him defensively, then that's when you're going to see Wallstrom start to climb up that, you know, ladder towards uh, the top six forwards. Um, and that's it for episode 72 of Island Ice. I I really hope you enjoyed the chats with Nassau County Executive Laura Curran and Islanders Radio play-by-play voice Chris King. To find all of our Islanders content, please, please go to newsday.com backslash aisles. And again, you can subscribe to Newsday Islanders Text for direct communication, one-on-one communication with me. I will text you back. You can text 631-303-3766. That text number again is 631-303-3766. Or you can go to newsday.com backslash IELTS text to start your 14-day trial subscription. So speak soon and happy hockey, everybody.